0: another hopefield message from life for more information about our church visit lifeau.org we are addressing the subject of god money and me and uh, earlier this year you may be aware or not aware i published a book called god money and me and today here at life uh, again you might be in melbourne you may be here in auckland uh, online, you can talk to Pastor Ruben, but we're giving one of these to each family. And we want every family, uh, each couple or, each, or an individual, if you're an individual at life, we want just one book per unit going out. We need you to be faithful to that. But it's to help you gain an understanding of how you can turn your money world around. And uh, before you get reactionary, maybe you're not, but it's kind of like people have said to me, over the years kind of you know what why is it that the church is always talking about money Uh, my response to them has been this no that's the problem with the church is we're not addressing the subject of money we just keep talking about giving and often the church is judged and we haven't done it well but the fact is that money for you and for me is one of the most important elements in our humanity And before, as I said, you jump to conclusions, remember that money affects every part of our human existence. And it is my absolute commitment to help people, couples and families, to get to a place where money is not lording it over them, but they are in a place of godly authority. I love what somebody once said. They said, my wallet is like an onion. Opening it makes me cry. In fact, I read this great story, which uh, I think you'll get, but uh, a couple, his name's George and her name's Bessie, and they live in the country, and every year they go to the country fair. In fact, they work so hard on their property, it's the only holiday they get, and they look forward to it. But every year as they go to the country fair, uh, George loves airplanes and he would say to Bessie his wife you know I sure would like a ride in that crop dusting acrobatic airplane sometime you know it looks so amazing it's got no roof on it it flies high it does all kinds of things and every year Bessie his wife would say I know George but that airplane ride costs ten dollars and ten this is years ago and ten dollars come on is ten dollars Year went in, year went by. Now, George is 81. They go to the fair and he says to Bessie, his wife, you know, I'm 81 years of age and we still haven't ridden on the plane. I, I, I want to ride the airplane. This may be the last chance I get. Well, Bessie looked at George and said, you know, George, well, that airplane costs $10 and $10 is $10. Well, the pilot overheard their conversation and had heard them talking about it every year, in fact, and said, folks, you've been here year after year, and I know that you're wanting, sir, to ride my airplane. And you know what? I know that you don't part with money lightly. Tell me, I'll tell you what. I'll make you a deal. This is what I'll do. I'll take you both up for a ride, and if you can both keep quiet for the entire ride, not even say a word, I won't charge you a thing. But you can't even murmur a phrase or a syllable. Otherwise, it'll cost you $10. Well, George and Bessie agreed. They both jumped into the plane. Pilot took off. He was doing twists and turns, ups and downs, trying to get them to respond. Didn't hear a peep from George or Bessie. When they landed, the pilot looked at George and said, George, well, I don't believe it, George. I did everything I could think of to make you yell, but you didn't even murmur. George stopped for a moment. He said, well, I was going to say something, then Bessie fell out of the airplane. But $10 is $10. All of us need to realize that even though we laugh, money guides more of our decisions than anything else. And I want to help... As I needed to learn as to how to discover God-centered wisdom when it comes to money. Over the next five weeks, we're going to discover how we can personally break the power of debt. And don't go quiet on me, but go, well, if I'm living with the pressure of debt and it's ruling me, the good news is God has an answer. We're going to get a biblical perspective on prosperity. I can't believe you used that word in church. (laughs) Did you know that God is a big, great, prosperous, eternal, unhindered, lavish, amazing God, and yet somehow religion and even the lie of the enemy that is surrounding the church forces us to narrow it down so we're acceptable in our view. And as I said, we... Talk about giving, but we don't teach on money. And I've discovered that most of the church, even many of us here at Life and many of us watching online, or maybe you're watching it, as I said, in another setting, we don't have a money theology. We don't take time to stop and look at it. So if you're going to stick around here, I am going to continue over the years to help people gain a biblical perspective on a theology on money. And if you are finding yourself react a little bit, think about this. Whatever you love and embrace, whatever is a part of your life you love teaching on. So if there's a reaction to money, it's because money's an issue with you. And God wants us to break out of that and see the power. Here's another thought. Money or lack of it decides most of our everyday decisions. Come on, it's deciding where you can go on holiday, when you can go on holiday, where you live, what you can go to, how many people up and down your street or the people you meet that you could help out. That money, according to research, says that 67% of marriages in their first year, their major conflict is around money. 50% of divorces can be directly attributed to issues over money. And so we need to look at it and begin to say, God, what is it about money that we need to learn? The truth is money says a lot of things. Money says to vision, I can release you. One thing to have a dream or something that God puts on your heart and something you believe you can make a difference. It's another thing to have the resources to be able to release that dream. Not only that, money says to need, I can help you. What a great thing that would be. That the church would be positioned to help the needs of our global challenges. Money also says to time, I can direct you. If you had money solutions, you could look at how more effective you could be with time. Than just trying to get money to make ends meet. Money says to debt, and I love this, I can free you. It is my personal belief there is not one Christian alive on the planet that should not be free from controlling debt. We're going to talk about the different kinds of debt and how that works. In fact, Ecclesiastes Solomon with his wisdom gives us this insight. He says in verse 19 of chapter 10, a feast is made for laughter. And in other words, you have a big meal together. There's going to be a lot of fun around that. Wine makes merry. But money answers everything. In other words, is it true that the enemy is shutting us down because he knows what God could do in and through us if we got a biblical perspective of it? And, and it comes out, this whole book comes out of my search with God. Growing up in the church, I was taught generosity, but I was not taught this money theology. And Marie and I had been married for 15 years. I was 38. We constantly saved up, both of us working a lot of that time, for a deposit at a house. But then we found there was a need in the church or there were people that had needs around us. And we're going, well, you know, we're here to help people. We're called to sow. But we never had a theology on reaping. And so we gave it all away. And I got to a point, I said, God, it's just not working. The Bible says we should leave an inheritance to our children's children. We got nothing. Even today, we pay the price for a lack of a money theology. But because we went through that, you don't have to go through that. And God took me to Second Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. And this became the catalyst. We're going to touch on this every week because I want you to get it in your spirit. And the Bible says, this is God speaking. Paul writes, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. So first and foremostly, if you see yourself as a special case, the enemy's already got you. You don't understand how I began. You don't understand how that... No, no, no. You've got to understand God's got a grace for you. There is a grace of God that is not just for salvation but for a breakthrough in money issues. God is able to make how much grace? All grace abound towards you that you would have all sufficiency in all things. Not just part. Again... The, the nature of all is that there would be this supply, this abundance, this incredible sense where God is taking us to a new level. Even the word sufficiency means this, the living of a life where you have no extra need of resource. So when you look at that, you go, this is normal Christian living of which 99% of us don't function at. You say, well, no, I'm all right. I've got enough money. I don't need to hear more about money. How selfish could you be? Are you just living for you? Or are you living to be the answer that God created you to be to many that haven't got what you've got? And that's why the understanding of prosperity is not just to make us rich. It's to make us able to bring the kingdom of God to pass. Come on, let me say that again. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. He's able to. I read that, 38 years of age, and I'm going, well, then I'm missing something. Because in all my endeavors, I'm not seeing this. That I would have all sufficiency in all things, and also I would have an abundance for every good work. In other words, wherever I find something good happening, I could help out. We could do that for you. We can make a provision here. Could you imagine the church living at that level in society? No, some of you haven't even got it. Come on. I hope the other campuses are warming up. Online, I hope you're standing on your couch shouting hallelujah. If you're in another campus or somewhere, come on. God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you'll live beyond the control of money and you'll have an abundance for every good work. And it's like, wow, God, then what's the blockage? What is it? I think sometimes the blockage is, but $10 is $10. $10. You're talking about money, and I don't have a whole lot of that. I wonder what percentage of those hearing this message today are still bound by money. It's power to direct every decision you have to make. And if that's the case, then we need to hear God's way of changing. Well, I'm not sure, you know, money, should we be touching on? Did you realize there are 10 times more verses on money and stewarding than on faith? Or salvation. Mm. So have a look in your Bible. 215 verses they tell us pertain to faith. 218 verses directly connect with salvation. 2084 deal with money and stewardship and finance. Because it's a major issue. It controls us and it controls what God can do in and through us. So I want to take three myths about money just very briefly today as we start this series and I would encourage you to not only hear it today but go online and listen to the podcast a few times this week because it's got a deep root system this thing called money and it needs to change. Here's the first myth, doesn't the Bible teach money is evil? It's kind of like we don't want to talk about money because we don't really want to expose issues to do with money because money is this isn't it what the enemy uses if you have money doesn't it destroy you no money yeah can provide cocaine but money also can provide hope when you're trapped in a situation you can't get out of so is money evil or is money not evil and I think we've bought into a lie sub sort of in our subconscious that money isn't the thing we should really talk about uh, Pastor Brian Houston from Hillsong uh, years ago wrote a book called You Need More Money and I think it was 215 uh, conference Hillsong conference he was talking about some of the things he'd do different and he said I I looking back that was years ago when money was such a big issue and I, and I wrote on money and I called it You Need More Money and the reaction in the press and in the church was so colossal he says I, I should have changed the title know, I'm sitting there and going no you're exactly right Well, I don't need more money. As I said, well, why be so selfish? There are people around you that don't have the ability you have. You're about making a difference. We need more money so that not just to become fat cats and we're just doing it all, but we're a channel of blessing, channel of the kingdom, channel of an answer for other people around us. In fact, we feel guilty if we have money. It's like, where does that come from? Because money managed correctly is not a guilt trip. It's a blessing outcome. You say, well, I need some scripture. Okay, well, 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 says this. For the love of money is the root or the offspring of all kinds of evil. In other words, when your heart is all about money. I love what somebody said. If money doesn't get to your heart, you can have it in your hand. So it's about the spirit of it. I'm not teaching you just to be a money grabber. I'm going, no. No. You've got to realize that God has a plan for money, but the love of money is the root of all evil, not money itself. And when you love money, you stray from the faith with greediness, and with it comes many sorrows. In fact, it goes on in verse 9, and this is, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. The danger with money is if it doesn't have God's focus over it and God's blessing on it versus the security of money when God's purpose is in and through it yeah but if people get money it's gonna ruin them no 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 think about this money doesn't change us it unmasks us you had those problems before we've got to build character so that God can entrust come on his people to bring the revelation of the kingdom to the world I love what Dumas, or his surname was Dumas Dumas says. He says, "Do not value money for more or less than it's worth. It's a good servant, but a bad master. Yeah. And by the way, you don't have to have a lot of money for it to be controlling you. Little money can control you. Money destroys and it empowers. because 10 dollars is 10 dollars. I loved when I heard, if I got the story correctly, Bill Gates, come on, giving away $50 billion to world poverty. Money's not evil. It's like a fireplace. How many know a fire on a winter's night? Raining outside is beautiful, creates atmosphere. But you start that fire in the wrong place in the house. You give money the wrong position. It'll destroy everything. In fact, Timothy, 1 Timothy six seventeen, instruct those who are rich who have money in this world not to be conceited. Don't be puffed up because you've got it. Don't fix your hope. This is almost an impossibility. Don't fix your hope on uncertain riches because your security can be bound in what you have. But make sure that your trust is on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Imagine when you stop excusing the fact that you were blessed. Oh, you seem like you're a lucky person. No, we've got a God that supplies us richly. All things to enjoy. Yeah, but I thought to be a real Christian was to be a humble Christian. Okay, what's humble mean to you? Is humble just poor, poverty, spirited Christian? Or is humble somebody that realizes you've got nothing in yourself, but you've got a God that's accepted you into his family come on, and according to his riches and glory, I've been empowered to enjoy a life, and that's why he puts the sun in the sky, not here in New Zealand, but now and again, uh, above the clouds, it's like he just gives us all things richly, wouldn't it be amazing if we stopped excusing the blessing, we attack the poverty spirit, and we go, "No, no, 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 yeah, but I thought the Bible taught that the, that money's evil, no, it's the love, here's the second myth, yeah, but if we, if we are to be like Jesus, didn't Jesus model a life or a, a gospel of scarcity? Wasn't that all about Jesus? He didn't have a whole lot. And people would argue, oh, no, no, no. Jesus was incredibly rich. You know, when he died, that even his cloak was auctioned off. I'm not sure that's a good premise to, to convince me he had a lot of earthly possessions. I'm sure what's happened is somebody gave him an incredible, come on, garment, which was worth money. Yeah, but Jesus, he, he lived sort of a meager kind of life. He, he lived with a scarcity about it. Have you ever understood 2 Corinthians 8, 9, not 9, 8, but 8, 9, the reverse order? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us have a mission from God and there's a grace on that mission. And so the father had a mission for Jesus to accomplish. It's like, we're happy he died at 33, but most of us would not be happy if our son died at 33. But we realize that that was the mission and the grace of God on his life. So you and I, come on, globally, we could live free. And so we celebrate that. But I want you to get this because if you don't get it, you don't change your thinking pattern around it, your belief system. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, oh, that's just spiritual stuff. No, it's not. He had an abundance of possession. God has no issue with possession. For though he was rich, yet for your sakes, my sake, he became poor. So that me through his poverty, so me through his death can receive everlasting life so me through his meager existence might become rich so don't argue that we shouldn't be talking about money it's like God knows that money is the material essence that unlocks the kingdom here on earth and there needs to be a shift in our understanding that the word rich means abounding in material resources okay When was the last time we started high-fiving people because we're abounding in material resources? Could it be that we are not justly representing Christ with a lack of belief that we need a breakthrough in material world? Are we making his mission of little effect when on one hand we realize he took our sins so we can be free and we accept that exchange? But we're not prepared to accept the other exchange that God set the platform. Yeah, yeah, but the disciples, Jesus sent them out without money. So obviously, he doesn't want us to have possessions. If you're a great teacher, as you're teaching people, you'll teach people how to operate in trust and faith. But if there is no supply, you can't fulfill the greater mission. And so there needs to be a context. Well, I think you're stretching the truth. Well, Jesus said in Mark chapter 10 and verse 29, he said, assuredly I say to you, there is no one who's left a house. Come on, moved away from a brother, sister, father, mother, wife, children, lands for my sake in the gospels. Get this verse 30, who shall not receive a hundredfold. Oh, that's eternity. No, now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands, persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. Come on, we take one side of the coin, which without seeing the full picture. You go on to Proverbs 11 verse 10. When it goes well with the righteous, with God's children, all of the city begins to have rejoicing. When the wicked perish, there is jubilation. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. As we begin to break through, those around us feel the effects of that. David and Israel bring their gifts as they are building the temple of God. And I love David's view on it. He says, come on, as we bring our gifts, this isn't a burden. Our God has blessed us. We're here to build something to the trophy of God here on earth. We're going to build stones the people are going to look at it and say, what the heck is going on here? Come on at life, whether you like it or not. In Melbourne, here across in Auckland, wherever God leads us, whatever God's called us to do. We're going to continue to build because we want to let people know that God is able and God is moving. And God has a testimony. Come on, the city will be blessed because of our existence. But he goes on and he prays in First Chronicles twenty nine twelve, And this is how he prays. Both riches and honor come from you. And you reign over all in your hand is power and might in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all okay it's getting quiet in here and I need to fizz it up a little bit front row is particularly very very quiet are you living a great life now I know there are seasons where God might go I'm going to test you and I'm going to prepare you and But if your life is one where you're just always in the shallows, you're always being dictated to by money, you haven't grabbed the essence of God's word yet. You make us great. Wouldn't it be great to be known as great? Not the greatest, but great. That God has so touched my life and things have changed and what was a generational curse has changed on my watch. Because I began to understand this more and I didn't buy into the myth that that money is evil. No, it's the love of money. I didn't buy into the myth that Jesus lived uh, a gospel of scarcity. He did it for a reason that I could learn through him, break the poverty curse and break through into the wonders of God. Come on. We go on and we say, uh, here's another myth that comes. In fact, in the book, I think i got 10 or 12 myths. Uh, and uh, I just want to touch on three of them. Here's another one is that we shouldn't make money such a big deal. Well, it's your big deal. It's my big deal. And you don't want to touch it. Why is it that the enemy understands more than you or I understood how big a deal it is? See, i got some money here. It's not that big deal, but the authority of it. How many know the government has given this the authority of $20? Serial number. And all the parts of it says, you have an authority to be $20. Back in George's day, it was only $10, but now I've got 20 This is what I never understood. Is money is amoral, has no spirit. It's only got value. The moment it touches my hand, the Bible makes it really clear it gains a spirit. It either has God's spirit of blessing on it or every time money touches us, it has the potential of mammon attaching to it. If we understood that, we would change so much because I'm going to go on record as saying, doesn't matter how many emails I get. The greatest percentage of Christians across the globe have mammon the spirit of mammon, which is the enemy's control in the area of finance. And it starts in finance, but it doesn't stop there. And that's why it's such a hotly debated subject. That's why there is so much false teaching around it. Luke 16 and verse 10. Come on, let's base our thinking and learnings on God's word. The one who is faithful in what is least... We'll be faithful in much. Well, we shouldn't make money such a big deal. Well, if you see it as the least issue, then you've got to make it a big issue. If you're faithful in the little, you will be faithful in much. Not you will become faithful, but you've been able to master the challenge of that. If you're unjust in what is little, you'll be unjust in what is much. Remember, money doesn't change you. It unmasks you. Verse 11, Therefore, if you have not been faithful... You have not lived God's way in unrighteous mammon. Who would give you true riches? God, I, I know your words, your promises for me. Over the years, people have said, how come we don't see more of the miraculous? I think there's a lot of reasons. I would say one of the reasons is we haven't been faithful with this. Because if you're not faithful with unrighteous mammon, who would give you true riches? God's testing you to see whether that's going to rule you. Because if that rules you now, if God were to give you what he has, that will take over. But when you surrender to God and say, no, God, your spirit's coming on my increase. Therefore, I'm going to live in that place. Yeah, but $10 is $10. Exactly. It's amazing the power that $10 has over us. And I've come to realize that money is a divine testing ground. Mm. It's like, well, you know, I love God and I live for God. The truth is, you might think that, but if money's your priority, it becomes your authority. See, priorities in life determine our authorities. I think it was Billy Graham that first said this, but I'm going to echo it. I could very quickly help you understand what your priorities currently are. By going to your bank statement. Well, I love God. Yeah, but I ain't seen you in church for a year. Oh, this is still my home church. Love God. I still love God. But the Bible says Psalm 92, get planted. You're, You're here to build his kingdom, not just to receive. Oh, yeah, but I've been so busy at work. You know, in fact, I'm working six, sometimes seven days a week. Yeah. Now, there may be a season where you have to work hard, but I'm saying without even knowing it, you drift and your priority shifts. And when your priority shifts, the authority shifts. And God is saying, no, let you be the, come on, the governor of your money, not let money be the governor of who you are. It it actually gets a little harder because if you carry on with the verses, verse 13 of Luke 16, Jesus taught you can't, no matter how good you are. You cannot emphatically serve two masters. (laughs) Yeah, but I can control it. No, you can't. You're going to have to bring the lordship in so that it doesn't take lordship over you. You're going to end up hating one and loving the other. You'll be loyal to one or loyal to the other. Who are you loyal to? Money God? Come on, or the king? What is it? And the enemy wants us to live with di- divided loyalties so that we would begin to go, well, you know what I mean? Yeah, I still love God. But the actuality is we're living for something else. And, uh, and I've got to go there a little bit today, as I will over the next few weeks, uh, is, is, do you know you can be a generous, you could be someone with a lot of money and be really generous. Jesus sat, if you say we shouldn't talk about money, Jesus sat there watching what came in. I wonder how many times he goes to my bank statement and just watches what's happening. Hmm, That's interesting. There's a drift there. There's a change there. Look at that. Man, money's really starting to grab that hard. You cannot serve God in Mammon. Cannot. Yeah. cannot. 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 Yeah. He watches, and there are people putting wads of notes in. And then there's a lady that puts in the two mites. What does he say about the wads? They did nothing. But she, she honored me. Did you know you could be really generous, but if God is not sovereign over the first, mammon still attaches yeah but I want to make the decision as to where I give it when I give it and how I give it yeah that's all about you the first test is what spirit is going to attach to the rest and so it comes back to not well we're going to pay for this people preach on tithing in church because the pastor needs more money you won't get that here we don't even take up offerings in the church here in Auckland we don't do that now because we've taught the people you live by a revelation. Come on, God's got all that we need. We're not doing it because we're in a tight spot. We're doing it because we're building people in the kingdom way. Mammon, how I would describe it, is mammon is unsurrendered money. And that mammon is empowered to draw us away. See, I said priority determines our authority. And there's a huge difference between you having money and money having you. Of course, George and Bessie, Money had them. And you will become a servant where you place the priority. A lot of us experience this. I still, I've tied my whole life since I was three. But if I get an unexpected special thing, how many knows it's still, oh, that's a lot to give the first 10th. Yeah. Yeah. Why is that? Because every time money arrives in the room, mammon arrives in the room. And there is a decision we get to make. And God wants us to make that decision because he's not lording it over us. We choose him and his spirit to come on the rest. And some of us got to realize you buy a house for 200,000, you don't do that in Auckland, maybe in Melbourne. Uh, but uh, you buy a house for 200, spend 100 on it, 300, and you sell it for 500 six months later. You've just made 200,000. Wow, that was amazing. But the first tenth, as we'll see later on, that's 20 grand. Wow, mammon's in the room saying, That's a lot of money. I wouldn't be doing that. You can't trust. And God's saying, you can trust me. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Yes. You can trust me. If God doesn't get the first, mammon is invited, doesn't need to be, but to govern the rest. When you understand that, it's like we do life from a surrendered or an unsurrendered position. It's an amazing thing to me, too, that uh, mammon comes from an original word. It's a chalde word called money god." So every time you read mammon, it's a spirit. It's a money God. Arrives in the room and wants lordship. Did you know that mammon, Jesus named four times here on earth. It's the only evil spirit he ever named. Could it be that parts of our lives, even though we love God, still have mammon attached to it? And mammon, if you do a study on it, I don't have time, it's in the book again. But mammon's goal is quite a few things. It's firstly to deceive you, that it's okay. Then to get you after you're deceived to worship it, so you live for it. And then ultimately, its goal is to control everything. So mammon takes people away from the purposes of the kingdom. And as we said, you cannot serve God and mammon. It's an impossibility for us to do it. I suppose as I bring this to a close and here in Central, why don't you join me? Wherever you're watching this, my heart to you is to stop for a moment and ask yourself, Have I drifted from what God has for me to live by? Because if you do drift away from that, God's not going to, religion will make you, but God doesn't make us do anything. What God does is draw us in. If, if you'll allow me access, then I'm going to be there to take you to a whole new level. You know, for George and Bessie, she kept saying, Because $10 is $10. I think the truth of what she should have been saying is because $10 is not really $10. It has the power to affect everything that we are. If we honour God and we realise that mammon wants to shut down our future and cause our trust to be in money, rather than releasing the promise of God, Come on, he enables us to experience blessing and riches and all things to enjoy. That he wants us to break generational curses, limits and lacks. And many of our parents in our generation had nothing. So we were never taught, we were taught to be very frugal and to hold the control. Whereas I'm realizing, mammon, you're not going to have your way in my life. You're not going to take me out by God's grace And I encourage you to think about it. Money's not evil, not at all. It has the power to release vision. Come on, break the change of poverty. Yeah, Jesus lived a gospel, not a gospel, a life of scarcity to release a gospel of plenty and provision and breakthrough. Well, money's not that big a deal. Yeah, it's a huge deal. Controls most of who we are.